We are encountering silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. This is the second part of a two part interview. The first part was released in our previous episode of Encountering Silence. Ruben, what you're saying kind of goes into um, your books and some of your book titles, uh, Healing Breath, Zen for Christians and Buddhists in a Wounded World, Living Zen, Loving God, Be Still and Know, Zen in the Bible, uh, Zen in the Spiritual Exercises. And I kind of have a two-part question. One is just kind of about the inspiration for writing and the practice of writing and what that is like for you and how that's involved or if silence is involved in that. The second is for someone kind of new to these things and in the merging, um, I wonder where would you suggest they begin in your writings? Thank you. So the first question What's my inspiration for writing? Since 1991, soon after I came to Dallas, a small group of people who were seeking some spiritual path asked me, can, you, can we sit together? And so we did. We sat on a regular basis. And since they had heard that I had had some Zen training in Japan, they asked me for guidance in Zen. And so from that small group, we now have our community called the Maria Kanon Zen Center. And so that is the spiritual community that I feel uh, responsible for and whom I owe a lot and who uh, are my teachers also, the members of that community. So when I, I'm expected to offer talks whenever I sit with them, like on a full day Saturday, on, uh, on a full day, uh, day of Zen on uh, Saturdays once a month, and then short little ones of a few minutes each after an evening uh, an evening sitting. So those talks somehow become the kernel of what I feel I would like to develop further into a more uh, systematic way. And that is what inspires me to write. Now, there are some talks or, uh, that I have been recording and now I, uh, what I'm in the habit of recording the talks that I give so that they can inspire me again to um, uh, have them transcribed and then edited and then uh, rewritten in a way that can address questions that people who are, who are listening to my talks uh, may be able to um, get some guidelines in. So that's basically what inspires me. What are questions that people are asking and what are things that the Zen tradition can offer. And for me, the Zen tradition is always now in the light of my Catholic faith that I continue to receive as my nourishment so that both aspects somehow are part of whatever I can offer in answering those questions of people around me. So right now, those questions that I had 
um, talked about, which involve coincidences of opposites, human, fully human, fully divine, one and three. Those are the questions that I'm continuing to um, uh, mull over. And one of the things I'm hoping to be able to write before I snuff my last breath out of this world is precisely a way of understanding how that triune mystery works in us through our experience of breathing and our experience of the mystery of our way of connecting with one another and our experience of being fully human. Mm -hmm. And yet being fully human, being lifted up to the divine realm, the theosis that the, the Greek uh, theologians mm -hmm. always talk about. So those are some of my tasks now, more theological. Now, the books that I have written up to this point are more geared towards spiritual practitioners who are trying to make sense of being Christian and yet being engaged in Zen practice or engaging in Zen practice. What do I make of this? What are some ways in which we can connect this Zen practice with my relationship with the, the rest of the world? So with those questions in mind, somehow little incidents or little uh, conversations inspire me to organize one little topic and those are the uh, chapters that will make up the kinds of uh, volumes that I uh, have been coming up with. And then yeah. this, uh, in answer to the second question, for those who are beginning their spiritual path, what will I recommend? First of all, I'd like to recommend a stance of giving yourself the gift of doing nothing with a purpose. So uh, don't just do something, sit there is uh, the uh, kind of uh, uh, car bumper sticker advice that I would like to give. And short, in short, and this is what I also uh, offer to my students in my classes here at Perkins School of Theology, a requirement that they spend one hour a week doing nothing, doing nothing in a very intentional and purposeful purposeful way. In short, not attempting to do anything, but just allowing them to be. And the most direct way of uh, experiencing that is to just sit with a posture that is conducive to stillness by sitting with your back straight and your spine erect and with your legs in place and with your palms facing upwards. Then with that posture in place, then start being aware of your breath breathing in, breathing out, and then let your mind just be there where the breath is and allow the mind to stay with the breath. And so with that, take five minutes and just enjoy that time of doing nothing. And then I ask them, tell us about it. So I ask them to write reflections and post it on a shared canvas file where we can all read one another's postings and so they share things that happen their struggles their distractions but also their joys and their discoveries and so that's what i would recommend find your uh, give yourself the gift of doing nothing in the beginning five minutes at a time so it's mm -hmm. a systematic way and so i tell them you have a cell phone just get an app that will give you a timer <laughs> whether you want five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes and so on. So at least they have a sense of uh, how much they want to give themselves. And I tell them, don't think of it as another to-do that you have to put on your to-do list, 
but as a gift you're giving to yourself, mm. allowing yourself just to be. Yes. With your hair down and with all of your uh, worries just aside and just come home, the mm. breath in the here mm-hmm. and now. Five mm. minutes. Try that once a day and then later on make it twice a day and see what it gives you and then after that you can um, lengthen the time as you wish but that's the mm. very beginning I, in, I invite people to if you're serious in a spiritual life simply five minutes doing nothing and let it begin there yeah yeah Ruben I just also want to say that I really appreciate you continuing to bring up the the seeming paradoxical truths in the Bible and biblical text and and spending time with those I'm reminded a lot of Maggie Ross in her second volume um, on silence where she talks about those paradoxes stopping our minds um, simply because we can't cope with them and they give us moments of deep silence and deep communion with the mystery and the divine. And she specifically talks about the New Testament paradoxical statements by Jesus, you know, first shall be last, last shall be first, he who loses his life shall gain it, these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm reminded of that, um, the deep practice of silence one can engage with in just engaging those those mysteries and um, navigating those, meditating on those. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that reminder. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. And really, it's a reminder I have to give myself also. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I I have a habit of talking too much. And some friends tell me, uh, you're talking about silence? Haha, then practice a little more. (laughs) (laughs) We get told that all the time. Yes. We hear it too. Yeah, we hear it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a podcast where we talk about silence, you know? Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a contradiction in itself? Yes, exactly. Again, there goes Nicolas of Cusa. Yes, exactly. So, Ruben, what do you see as the, I don't know, the relationship or the distinction you know, speaking paradoxically here, between zazen and centering prayer. Do you uh, think that they're essentially the same practice, or is there some sort of a of a difference there that we can we can be present to? My sense is that both ways of spiritual practice are addressing the same uh, question, or rather, uh, leading their practitioners to a common ground, but somehow there are small differences that um, each one can um, exhibit. And so for me, having been schooled in Zen, I would advise people who are into centering prayer, first of all, not to close their eyes, but to keep them slightly open. That's one difference, because if you look at instructions on centering prayer, they say, okay, sit in a quiet place and so on, then close your eyes. And I would say, no, open your eyes a little bit because if you close your eyes, there are two things that can happen. Either you begin to get drowsy and so you'll uh, inevitably have to fight your temptation to go to sleep or give in to it. That's fine itself, but that won't be uh, centering prayer too much anymore. And then... <laughs> centering sleep. The other tendency... A centering you, nap. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's it. If you need a nap, then by all means, lie down and enjoy it. Mm. Don't worry about centering prayer for now. Mm. Then you can do it after your nap. Mm. Anyway, or the second tendency that can happen if you close your eyes is then your mind begins to be creative and imagine different kinds of images and so on and take you to a different world. 
and maybe you can go into an astral trip and go, go into an out-of-body experience and so on. But for me, that's not what centering prayer is either, nor, nor is that what Zen is about. It's precisely centering, coming to a place that is at the core, at the very center of our being. That center of our being is what is also called the spiritual. There is a, a multi-volume series put out by Crossroads, by the way, which I'm sure you all know about, with the general title of World Spirituality. And each of the volumes has a particular tradition that um, is addressed with the spiritual gifts and uh, richness of that particular tradition, like Jewish tradition, Hindu tradition, Muslim tradition, Christian tradition, and so on. Some have one volume, some have two volumes. Mm. And so there is a common preface there, because the editors, before they launched the volumes, talked about the question, well, what, how can we give a definition to spirituality that will be um, common ground with all of these religious traditions, even or non-religious traditions? There's even one called secular spirituality. And so they came up with a consensus which was written by Ewart Cousins, a late right. theologian who taught at Fordham University. Right. He was the, the author of that common preface, which you'll find in all the volumes, that the editors had agreed upon. And there he says, the spiritual, which we will be using as a working definition for all these volumes, refers to the core of our being, that very core where we encounter the transcendent, the holy, the mystery. Well, he doesn't say those other parts, but the um, very core of our being where we encounter the transcendent and the holy. And I would like to add, where we also encounter one another. So there is a vertical dimension in the spiritual that leads us to the depths of our being, to the very depths that is really uh, bottomless. And, but also there is a horizontal expanse whereby in arriving at that place, we see that we are connected with each one around, everything around us and everyone around us that enables us to see everyone and everything as kin. So that's the core of our being. And if centering prayer is true to its name, centering prayer is an invitation to come to that place where we meet the holy and we meet one another. But um, what I'd like to also uh, add there from, my, uh, from what I learned in Zen is the breath is a very, very powerful force that can be our guide and that can keep grounding us. Because if we're just sitting there and just allowing our mind to, well, um, be focused somewhere, then the mind will inevitably go elsewhere. So if we connect the mind and our awareness with the breath, then somehow we have a solid place in which the mind can come home to rest. And so the breath then hastens our entry into that spiritual center of our being. So for me, somehow Zazen and Centering Prayer have now come to a, uh, an integral unity. So for those who are used to Centering Prayer and have never heard of Zen, fine. But at least keep your eyes open and pay a little more attention to the breath. Mm -hmm. And for those who are doing Zen, well, people uh, who are attracted to Zen uh, may come from no religious tradition. They may be atheists, agnostics, or they may be Christian or Muslim. 
we have a Muslim uh, and a Baha'i participant and Jewish uh, practitioners also, in addition to Christian as well as atheist and agnostic. So we anyway, if we can find that place where the breath is taking us to that place of silence, then somehow we have a common language that we can speak be, uh, beyond the differences in the doctrines that our religious convictions carry. So centering prayer and zazen in that regard somehow converge into that place that is spiritual. Hmm. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in the silence. By the way, in the Western context, unfortunately, the word spiritual has been used in a way that is distinct from or distinguished from the material or the physical. Mm. And that is a very unfortunate dichotomy in Western thought and Western culture. Mm. So like uh, Socrates talking about his soul leaving his body and going up and so on, he hopes that it will be good weather when he dies so that the soul will not be blown away somewhere. But that kind of dualism uh, has crept into Christian thought. And so um, instead of saying, I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, amen, we tend to actually believe, I believe in the immortality of the soul, and that's it. Right. And the body is left on the ground to rot. Right. And that's an unfortunate mistake, I would say, or mistaking of the Christian tradition. God became body, this very body that God took on to lift up to God's realm, to the divinity. And so it is our bodiliness that we are called to take with us into that realm of the divine and not to be separate from it. So the spiritual then is not something that is separate from our body, but is at the core of our very being that incorporates and includes our very bodiliness, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, as Paul affirms. Mm. So that's a very important distinction I would like to make also with the use of the word spiritual and spirituality. Mm. It's not taking us away from the physical or the material, but enables the physical and the material to find its unity, to find its integration, and to find its true meaning and its giftedness to the whole. Mm. It's a lovely way of saying. I like that idea of spirituality as 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 a way of finding the unity. Uh, that's a, mm -hmm. that's a beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, I've, mm -hmm. I've heard I've heard people talk about the dichotomy, but I've never heard, actually heard it stated that way. That's that's a lovely uh, sentiment. Ruben, I'm I'm kind of curious. I re this this question strikes me. We ask this question of a lot of our guests, but I'm really curious as to how you would answer. We often ask our guests if they have a silence hero. And what we mean by that is, is there somebody 
past or present, uh, maybe only personal that only you know, like a family member or a friend or somebody famous, like a writer or a theologian or a saint or something, where you feel they encapsulate, they capture for you this silence that you've been talking about, this interior silence, and they've lived their life from that place. Do you have a silence hero and who is it? Well, I have many, many silence heroes, but the one that jumps out at me right now is Simone Weil. I've all uh, heard of or know of her book yes. called Waiting yeah. for God or Waiting on God, or anyway, yes. that's the English translation of a right. French that is Attente de Dieu. That's right. And the word Attente in French is, of course, waiting but it's also being attentive, paying attention. Mm. And so it's not waiting for God to come who is not yet here, but really waiting in mainly like the one who serves you at table is the waiter, mm. the one who is there present to your needs. So to be attent, did you, attentive to God is her whole life. And she was attentive to God, not just in an abstract kind of theological way, but attentive to the cries of pain of her neighbors and of her of the people who are being oppressed. So she went out to them and uh, joined them in their protest marches and so forth. Anyway, so many things I could talk about um, regarding Simone Weil, but she would be one person that I would look to. The only thing I would like to uh, quarrel with her about is that she uh, really starved herself to death and mm. she did not take care of herself at mm. the end. Mm-hmm. I say, hey, come on, eat. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, if she were alive, I would kind of uh, try to grapple with her and say, come on. But but still, the, her spirit and her heart is what moves me. And I, I kind of shudder that I'm uh, I'm a very uh, I mean a cowardly person uh, who's not able to do the things that she did. So that's what that's why I put her up there as a model so that I can at least muster something. If I'm uh, in in uh, circumstances where I need that kind of courage, I look at her and really she gave her all. Thank you so much. I think you're the first one who has mentioned Simone Vea. And um, ever since I read Gravity and Grace in high school, ah. she has just been, yeah, one of my yeah. silence, silence heroines. Oh. And I, but, but I'll tell you what I really appreciate is you sharing, you know, giving us that little French lesson. lesson. Oh. And, you know, yes, I, I knew that the title in French was En attendant. Adieu, or however it's uh, pronounced. Attente de Dieu, yeah. On attente de Dieu. On attente de Dieu. Uh, so that's waiting, the de is waiting to God or waiting of God, waiting for God. It's, it's hard yeah, it's to translate hard to in English. Yeah, yeah. See, I mean, yeah. that, that there's there's so much waiting, richness. And we... then there's God already there um, knocking it, at your door. It's kind of an ambiguous, it can go both ways kind of thing. Paradoxical, paradoxical, if you will, but but you know the what listening to you, what it made me think of was the Psalms and how the you know waiting is such an important yes. dimension yes. of the spirituality yeah. of the Psalms, and there's a there's a Hebrew word uh, it's dumia, which means silence, but it means yes. waiting in uh-huh. silence or attending yes. to silence. Yeah. And, and Psalm 65 often gets mistranslated because that word is used. And to translate it literally, the verse is, to you, O God, silence is praise. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. But but what a lot of scholars and I think it's I think it's a subconscious bias against contemplation. They'll translate it as praise waits for you, O oh God. Oh. Which which if you really think about it is a nonsensical translation because it mm-hmm. anthropomorphizes praise. Mm-hmm. But to say, no, that silence, the waiting silence, the attending silence is actually yeah. a, f- a form of praise. It's a form of worship. It's a powerful yeah. contemplative statement right there Indeed. in the Psalms. So I'm inspired to share with you a small, a little verse that I learned from a uh, friend and colleague who teaches at a Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Louisville. Uh, her name is Frances Adney, and she went on a sabbatical in Asia, in Indonesia, I believe, where she happened to join a Zen-style retreat led by a, um, a, a European, I think it was a German priest, who gave them a, um, a Zen-style retreat, and most of the participants were Christians, I believe. So she uh, joined the Zen retreat, and in the course of that retreat, she was walking around the grounds of the retreat house, and there was a pond, and there were lotus leaves, lotus pads, lotus flowers. And then she saw a frog sitting on a lily pad. So that somehow struck her, and in trying to describe her experience of that retreat, she wrote this verse, a haiku. The frog sat on a lily pad not waiting. (laughs) The frog sat on a lily pad, not waiting. That somehow captures for me something very important for us. When we're sitting here, breathing in and breathing out, if we're waiting, then our mind is still on something that may come in the future or may not come, and so we're separated. But if we're just sitting here, that waiting without waiting can give us a sense that right now, we are already in the midst of that holy presence. Mm. So to taste that holy presence right here, right now, waiting but not waiting, is a mm. message that's, that, that Haiku uh, offers to us. And so I would like to share that also. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank, you. Thank you to Francis Adini. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you just answered unintentionally. We often ask a question for a poem. And you just gave us a beautiful poem right there. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. good. Okay, I'm off the hook on that one. <laughs> Talking about a poem, I would like to also mention Mary Oliver, who's been another inspiration mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. When she died in uh, on January 17th of this year, the internet was flooded with tributes to her, and I also read some of those and was inspired and. One of the accounts that I was touched by is her account of how she was uh, taking a walk in the woods, as she would usually do. Um, And then as she came out of the woods into the clearing, she describes an experience way back, many years back. She said, I was suddenly caught by a seizure of happiness, unexplainable, but yet just Without any reason, just coming out of the woods and into the clearing, she was seized by or struck by that seizure of happiness, what Ignatius calls consolation without previous cause. Yes. 
Yes. You know, for her, mm. her walk in the forest was her way of cleansing and her way of finding that silence and her way of opening her heart. And so just at the right time as she was entering the clearing, it just alighted in her whole being and the seizure of happiness was hers. And she said, ever since that moment, I felt that I had a place in the world, that I belonged and that all of these things in the world were part of me. Mm. And with that, I always refer back to that for many of the decisions I've made in my life. So that's an, that's a gift that can come to any of us if we have that opening in our hearts. So your work really is a very important one of inviting people to give themselves that opening in their hearts or silence to allow that seizure of happiness, that consolation <laughs> without previous cause, or you might call it a touch of the infinite. We come home to us so that we know we're at home and we're all kin with one another. Yeah. Thanks to Mary Oliver. Yeah, thank you for that. We we joke that uh, Mary Oliver and Thomas Merton are both mentioned almost every mm. podcast. And what's interesting is that Mary Oliver that you just mentioned reminds me a lot of Thomas Merton's Fourth and Walnut revelation. Yes, um, exactly. That we're, we're all well, walking around shining like the sun. Yeah. Indeed. Well, I uh, was going to uh, ma mention that with my earlier experience of being in that big hall where there were people who yeah. were just uh, taking their food and so on. I didn't want yeah. to uh, sound like I was trying to compare myself with Thomas Merton, but that's somehow the kind of feeling you get when you're just mm. touched by that moment of grace where everything and everyone is just part of you and part of who you are and you belong. Mm. And Thomas mm. Merton received that. And if you notice Thomas Merton's life, up to that point, he was writing about contemplation and about the spiritual life and so on, about the inner world. But from that time on, he began to be aware of what was happening. Civil rights, the war in Vietnam, the nuclear bomb. So his heart began to open to the world and saw the pains of the world, which became his own pain. And it was, I believe, that little turning point when he saw that sense of belonging to the world, belonging to all the people around him. And again, that was the gift of the silence that he had built up for all of those 17 years in the monastery. Mm -hmm. So we can only give ourselves that gift of clearing the, the way in our own hearts so that we can experience that silence that Thomas Merton did. Yeah. Listening to you reminds me of the book. I think the author is Danine Kadagiri. I may be mispronouncing it. Danine Kadagiri, yes. Danine Kadagiri. The book is called Each Moment is the Universe. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the, so your moment there in the in the food hall or Merton at the street corner or Mary Oliver at the clearing. And I think we're I think everyone is given those gifts. I think often right. we we don't notice them. We we right. filter them out. But, Unfortunately, but, the, but yes, that's the invitation for all of us. And yeah. thank you for your work, really, because we're you're you're telling people, hey, look, there's you're you're a gift. And so open your heart to that gift that you are. Mm. Thank you for thank that, you. really. I'm grateful, and everyone else is. Oh, thank you so much for spending your time with us. It's so wonderful to hear you. And and I just as we're having this conversation, we can all see each other on Skype, and I see that we're all just kind of hearing your words transport us and uh, transport us nowhere just to be here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful, actually. Thank you. So grateful. Ruben, thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. Of course, we will, um, on our website, we will include links for all of your books so that, that people can learn more about your work as well. But 
But thank you again, and um, many blessings to you. Thank you. Yes. Same here. Thank My you. Heart yes. is full thank of you so much. Thank you. We are encountering silence. I'm Carl McCollman. To learn more about me, please visit carlmccollman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. Find out about my work at cassidyhall.com. I'm Kevin Johnson. My current website is kevinmichaeljohnson.com. Please visit the podcast's website at encounteringsilence.com, where you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on the podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters and share in our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all too noisy world. Thank you.